0: Well, hello, everybody. It is great to be back with you again to give us uh, uh, the second part of A Tale of Two Cities. And uh, I am, i really, I've always wanted to do this for a long time, just to be able to sit down at my desk and have some different things that I can refer to and we can go through the Bible together. And uh, so this is going to be fun. So, uh, of course... The one subject that's on so many people's minds is uh, is this episode of this virus and everything that's going on, not just in this nation but around the world. And so, uh, I just thought I would do something a little bit different tonight. Um, I'm sure I will possibly refer to some of these things we're dealing with right now, but uh, to kind of get out of step and out of pace with the rest of the world. Uh, this is by Bi- this is my Bible class. Wednesday night is always. A time when I have a great group of people that uh, have a great hunger for a deeper knowledge of the word. And so uh, instead of me just getting sidetracked with the coronavirus tonight, I'm going to do some Bible again. And uh, so uh, our subject is a tale of two cities. And um, uh, the book of Revelation, (laughs) I I met an old gentleman years ago. Uh, that said, uh, I don't know a lot about Revelation, but I know as much as anybody else does. And uh, and the truth was he knew a lot more than most people would ever, ever know. He, D.L. Welch forgot more than most people would ever learn. But um, I kind of adopted that along the way And uh, because this book has always been quite intimidating to me. And uh, whenever I take these uh, personality tests, I always tested 50% choleric and 50% melancholy, and it, was, uh, it wasn't it was a good combination because uh, that choleric part of me is the drive and the leadership and wanting to get things done, but the melancholy part of me is um, kind of a perfectionist, and I if I'm going to do it, I want to do it right. And uh, I don't want to do things three times. I'd like to do it right the first time. The problem with the way I'm wired up is if I couldn't do it right the first time, then I didn't even want to do it at all. And one of the hardest lessons I had to learn in pastoring was that you have to sacrifice perfection for production. There are times you just have to get things done. It might not be perfect, but for goodness sakes, you're getting something done. And uh, uh, sorry about that, but uh, (laughs) we... uh, uh, we're taping this in my office, and uh, uh, I'm really grateful to be doing this. So uh, let's just go on. Um, I, I I've looked at the Book of Revelation before, and it it seems so daunting. And there are people that have dedicated their whole lives to studying the thing. and And I've read a lot of the things that they've written, and it's all very impressive. Um, but I just didn't want to adopt and accept somebody else's, uh, approach to something without studying it for myself. And so, um, at the risk of showing you just how, um, uninformed I really am, we're just going to get started. It won't be perfect. It won't be as good as I would ever want it to be. I don't think it ever is, but we are going to take a shot at it. And, uh. So, that's why we're talking about this subject, A Tale of Two Cities, because um, there are two cities in the book of Revelation that stand out. One is the city of Babylon, and the other is uh, the New Jerusalem. And uh, um, Babylon, in the book of Revelation, is basically used to describe the last chapter of civilization, and uh, it is what I guess we would call the modern-day Tower of Babel, and um, um, I've always believed in this connection between Babel and Babylon. Uh, I remember some time ago, I found um, uh, this verse. It's in uh, Genesis 2 and verse 8, and um, it simply says that the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, eastward in Eden, and um, it, it, it doesn't say of, but it says in, which tells me that the Garden of Eden, or uh, I guess I could say Eden, was larger than just the garden. The garden was in Eden, but it wasn't all of Eden. Eden was obviously a much bigger piece of property than just what would take in the garden. And, um, but that phrase, the garden in Eden, it, it doesn't show up for many scriptures and many chapters in the Bible. You, uh, as a matter of fact, just a couple chapters later, it's not referred to as Eden. It's known as the land of Shinar, Or the plains of Shinar. And this is the piece of property where the Tower of Babel was constructed. And um, you know that story in the Bible of the Lord confusing their languages. And uh, they intended to build something all the way. it It was an ancient skyscraper. And they intended to build something that would go to the clouds. And this was their motive. We're going to do it. We're going to build a building so high that no flood will ever, ever be able to reach us up there. Now, to show you how wrong that was, God had already promised, "I'm never going to destroy the world again by water." But um, so you don't have to build this tower; it's, it's unnecessary. But it's they're going to do it their way, and they're going to do it regardless of what God promised. So there's no faith here. There's, there's no trust in the word of God. We're going to do it our way. And uh, that sounds familiar right now. And uh, what fascinated me was that that piece of property where Babel was being constructed, now just think how many stones and how much effort. And the Bible said their minds, their hearts were, They would have. they would have built that thing. They would have figured that thing out. And um, God confused their tongues. They just abandoned the building site. But we're not talking about tuba here. We're not talking about uh, uh, the things that we use right now, usually in the construction of a building. Uh, if it was us, the metal studs would have rusted. The tube the, the 4s would have rotted. The drywall would have just turned into goo. We're talking, we're talking rocks here. It was the abandoned job site of Babel that furnished the original building materials for the great city that was built in that same place called Babylon. And uh, if you know history, the empire of Babylon uh, was overcome by what were known as the Medes, and the Persians. Uh, It's common uh, to talk about the law of the Medes and the Persians. Well, there really was a law of the Medes and the Persians. And what's fascinating to me is the Medes are coupled together with Babylon and, and that's the ancient name of modern day Iraq. And when you deal with Persia, Persia is the ancient name for the modern country of iran and isn't it interesting that this same piece of property today brings such chaos to the world iran and iraq are are just problem children they that didn't just start with Saddam Hussein, that didn't just start with Ayatollah Khomeini, who who and his followers who took over the 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 the, the embassy that was in Tehran. That, no, no, no. You're you're going way back here. Why? Because that's the place where Satan established a beachhead. That's Eden was where Satan had his first victory. That's where Adam bought into the lie. And even though women catch so much. Um, blame uh, because they ate the fruit first. The Bible says in the book of Romans, for by one man sin entered into the world, not by one woman. So that tells me when you have a family unit, the responsibility to lead that family is not on the woman. It's on the man, and he's the one that's going to claim and has to take the blame for what goes on and the responsibility for what goes on in his house. And this this is the place, this is the place where they said, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. Let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And uh, so I, I really, we as a world have been strutting among our skyscrapers and uh, bragging Really, like Nebuchadnezzar did. I found this boast from Nebuchadnezzar. It's in Daniel chapter 4, and uh, Daniel chapter 4, and verse uh, number 30. It says, The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? Babylon. Remember, we're talking about two cities here, Babylon and the New Jerusalem. Babylon is the Bible term for man's last civil masterpiece, but it ends in destruction. Here's what it says in Revelation 18 and verse number two. I've read this verse many times, but today, I, I saw something in it I'd never ever saw before. Here's 18 and 2. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and is become the habitation of devils, and a hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. <laughs> I, I didn't remember ever reading that, that a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. So judging from the context, I don't think we're talking about fowls here. I don't think we're talking about birds. But it's using an aviary term, a bird term, to describe uh, every foul spirit. So whether you call it F-O-W-L or F-O-U-L, it's a, it's a habitation of a lot of very, very bad things. That's Babylon. That's the city that man builds. But there's another city. <laughs> it's called the New Jerusalem. Look, here's the glaring difference between Babylon and the New Jerusalem. Babylon is built from the ground up. But this is what it says about the New Jerusalem. It comes down from above. <laughs> it comes down from above. I... Uh, I've always been fascinated with this verse. It's in Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 20. And it says, "Our conversation is in heaven. <coughs> from whence also we look for the savior, the Lord Jesus Christ." Please notice, now if you know, if you're just a <coughs> if you're just a cursory student of the Bible, if, in other words, if, you're not a, if you've never been to Bible school or a seminary, or if, if you're just a casual reader of the Bible, then I'm expecting you to know that heaven is, is kind of slang for a technical term called the New Jerusalem. Because in the Bible, the New Jerusalem is what so many people refer to as heaven. And uh, uh, it says in Philippians 3 and 20, our conversation is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And uh, it says, from whence also we look for the Savior. I, 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 I spent some time with this a while ago, and this is what I found. I, Alexander the Great is credited with conquering the world. Alexander the Great had a dad whose name was Philip of Macedon. He found out about gold that was in these hills in this particular region, so he went down and he conquered it. And he called that land Macedonia. And being the humble guy that he was, he, 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 he renamed the capital, and he called the city Philippi after, of course, himself. So remember when Paul said there was a man from Macedonia, saying, come over here and help me. Where did he go? Where did he end up? He ended up in Philippi because Macedonia was the region, but Philippi was the city in that region. And it's like Sterling Heights. It would be Macomb County is Macedonia, but Sterling Heights is Philippi. It's the city in that area. And what you have to understand is the Roman Um, uh, The Romans had conquered the civilized world, and they had satellite cities, outposts throughout their empire where garrisons of Roman soldiers would be held. And if there was an insurrection that would pop up in that region, then they would call those soldiers out of that satellite city. And, you know, that way everybody didn't have to come from Rome. They didn't have time for that. And uh, they didn't have the modern conveniences that we have today. They could just stick them on a big old plane and fly them over there. They had to have these outposts. Philippi was a Roman military colony on the edge of the empire and what went on in Rome went on in Philippi they they dressed like romans they they lived by roman law it it, it it for all practical purposes philippi was rome and so notice the comparison when paul is writing to the church at philippi he said our conversation is in heaven not going to be it's in heaven Now, we wouldn't necessarily get that right away, but those people did because they understood exactly what he was saying. They were Roman citizens, but even though many of them had never been to Rome, their their citizenship was in Rome. And Paul used that same analogy when he's talking to the Philippian church. We are citizens of the New Jerusalem. We We've not been there yet, but but we want to look like heaven. We want to talk like heaven. We want to act like heaven. <laughs> I, I tell the story to, to many of you. It's so real to me. And uh, one of my daughters, my oldest daughter, uh, made fun of me one time. She said, Daddy, you need to get new stories. Your stories are getting old. And... Uh, She angered me. I won't, I got to admit, she did anger me when I said that. And I just retorted back to her. I said, I don't need new stories. I just need a new audience. (laughs) I got good stories. I just need people to hear them for the first time. Some of you are hearing this for the first time. Others of you have heard me talk about this before. But when I was a new husband. I, I, my, my, my wife and I had worked in a church in Japan. And then when our time was up, we'd been there for a little over a year. She came back to the States. I went on with my father-in-law for weeks and weeks. And uh, if I remember right, we went to 28 different countries and it was weeks and weeks of travel. And uh, we were, uh, we were in India and we had business class tickets to go to Paris, the city of love. And, uh, we're, we were in India and he looked at me and he said, so son-in-law, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I, uh, I don't want to go to the city of love if I don't have what I love with me. I just as soon go home. And he said, I'm glad you you said that because I've already changed their tickets. We're going home. I was homesick and, uh, I wanted to see my wife and, uh, uh, I was in Burma right before we went to India, modern-day Myanmar, and, and the superintendent knew I was homesick. And he said, come with me, Burlopin. We're going to go for a little walk. And uh, so we walked down the street, and we turned into this very ornate, Italianate kind of house, beautiful house, grounds, very manicured. And he just looked me right in the eye very intensely, and he said, so how do you feel? And I said, I'm fine. He said, no, no, no. He said, he said, I know you've been homesick. So he said, I decided to take you home. He said, turn around. And I turned around, and I looked at the front porch of this beautiful, ornate house. And there was the American flag, and there were United States Marines that were there on the porch. And, and, and he said, this is the embassy of the United States, and he said, by international law, Brother Hoffman, you are no longer on Burmese soil. You're you're back home, and I knew you were homesick, and I wanted to take you home, (laughs) and I used that example to talk about our churches. I don't care what state it's in, what county it's in. Our churches are embassies of the Lord Jesus Christ, and when people come onto our property and they come into our building and they interact with our people it ought to be a heavenly experience and 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 Paul didn't say it's going to be he said our conversation is in heaven so babylon uh, is is a great picture of this world and their civic and civil efforts but the new jerusalem is coming down from above and and according to the bible every born again believer is a heavenly citizen, and uh, I, I like this verse. I, I found this is Acts twenty-one and verse thirty-nine, where but Paul said, "I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, a city, a citizen of no mean city." And uh, it doesn't mean that they were abrasive people. Here, here's here's the NIV. It says, "I am a Jew." From Tarsus in Cilicia, I am a citizen of no ordinary city, and I think you and I can say that we uh, we are citizens of heaven. And let me tell you something: that's that's no ordinary city, <laughs> the New Jerusalem. And uh, Jesus talked about laying up things in heaven, and uh, uh, so I don't get terribly excited about something down here that I guess ultimately is coming down. Uh, I have no intention of just building a place for the birds. And uh, so I guess my question to you tonight is, how are we supposed to live in this modern madhouse? And uh, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) But you're not the first one to ask, and I'm sure not the first one to answer, because Paul already dealt with that question. Uh, You ever heard of Henry David Thoreau? He was a a writer years ago, and he's famous for something called Walden Pond. And uh, he just wanted to get away from everybody. So he found this little piece of real estate uh, by this pond called Walden, and he built him a little cabin. And uh, they've got a replica of it that's still there. And uh, so let's, Let's just face it, ladies and gentlemen. There just aren't enough Walden Ponds. We just can't all run away to some cabin in the woods. And uh, uh, so so I, I'm not knocking people, but it, there's. I think it's a precursor of things that are going on in the spirit, how so many people want to have a little cabin in the woods off the grid. Uh, let's just face it. Um, we just can't all have a cabin in the woods off the grid. And uh, the key to our conduct right now is found in the book of 1 Corinthians. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians 7, 29 through 31. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none, and they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possess not, and they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. So let's take a look at this, these three verses very clearly. Uh, you know, it's, God is not saying, get rid of your wife, get rid of your spouse. That's not what he's saying. What Paul is trying to teach is that the Lord has to be at the center of your life. And if the Lord is at the true center of your life and you are married, you're going to have a stronger marriage because the Lord's at the center of your life. And and that that he he is the nucleus of this thing and everything else spins around it. It, It's not telling us to marginalize our marriage. It's saying keep him as the core and, and keep him as the center. And how about this? They that weep as though they haven't wept. Wow, <laughs> there are just people right now that are living in absolute fear and terror and they qu- can't quit crying. I think one thing Paul was saying is, don't let your sorrows get you down. And, and, and remember that verse that's in Thessalonians, they, they use it at funerals so often, but in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 13, he said, we're not going to sorrow as others who have no hope. I I I I feel sorry for people that are not serving the Lord right now because if your whole hope is in this world, they're in a whole lot to be excited about right now. So we don't we sorrow, but we don't sorrow as others who have no hope. And 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 you would think that right after this Paul would say, "Well, I want you to major in rejoicing and not in weeping." But that's not what he's saying. He said, I want those that, that, that weep as though they wept not. I want those that rejoice as though they rejoice not. What, what is he saying? He, he is saying that we need to learn to handle tears with the same moderation as we handle rejoicing. There, you ever met people that you, every time he, how you doing? Great, 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 great. Let me tell you what: everything isn't always great. And so what Paul is saying is, don't be a crying maniac, and 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 everybody knows all your every time they're around you, you're going to be full of sorrow, and don't be one of these laughing phonies that just act like, like nothing's wrong anywhere, everything's wonderful and amazing, and, and, you know, they talk about positive mental attitude. That's not what, what Paul talked about. I'm all for being positive, but, but he, he said, uh, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. It's, it's not I can do it all, but I can do it if he'll give me the strength to do it. And that's a totally different perspective than, than the me world that we're living in and, and you know we're Americans life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness but I want you to understand something right now that's, that's an American thing that's not the main objective of the word listen to me God didn't save us to make us happy God saved us to make us holy and it's not the same thing That's why David said, make me to hear gladness and joy, because gladness is not the same thing as joy. The Bible doesn't say the fruit of the Spirit is love, grin, love, laugh. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not just how much you can laugh. Joy is much deeper than that, because we have to be strong. So, How do you get strong? The Bible said you need to resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Well, how are you going to resist him if you're weak? You can't. So you've got to get stronger in order to resist him. How do you get stronger? The Bible said the joy of the Lord is my strength. So the question is, what's the joy of the Lord? The answer to that is found in a couple places. One, remember the good shepherd He left the ninety and nine that were safe in the barn and he went looking for that one lost sheep. And it said when he came back, he had that lost sheep on his shoulder and he came back rejoicing. He was so full of joy because he had found that one lost sheep. Listen to this verse. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, What's that? Do you can you possibly envision a Jesus hanging on the cross, smiling and laughing? Nah. But I can envision a Jesus hanging on that cross determined. Why? The Bible said he could have called a legion of angels, and they could have very carefully plucked him off of those nails. But he stayed there. What Kept him on that tree it's very obvious the bible said who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross so you got to ask yourself what was on the other side of the cross what was going what was jesus going to get that he didn't have at that particular time and the answer is obvious you the church The reason he endured what he did on the cross is because he had joy in his spirit. That gave him the strength to be able to see that thing through because he knew that on the other side of the cross, you and I were going to have the chance at redemption and adoption. You understand now what I'm talking about? You've got to resist Satan. You can't do it if you're weak. So you've got to get stronger. How do you get stronger? The joy. You're going to get to have to get the joy of the Lord. What is the joy? What is the thing that makes the Lord more excited than anything else? I'll tell you what it is. When somebody gets found, when somebody that was lost is able to be safely led back to a place of safety, we call these places sanctuaries or they ought to be sanctioned. They ought to place where you where 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 things, endangered species, can be spared. And the human race is an endangered species. It's the job of the church to be able to minister to them and to get them in a safe place. You understand what I'm saying? You want to be stronger? We've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks. What to do while we're waiting you got to get stronger. Well, how are you going to do that? You can't just live for yourself. If you're all bound up in yourself right now, you are going to be one very unhappy person. 90%. Three weeks ago, 90% of Americans said they were reasonably happy. I wonder what that percentage is right now. Because we are so built that... We have to be... Do you understand what I'm saying? Paul was saying you can be a slave to sorrow as much as you can be a slave to joy. And you have to be independent of shadow and sunshine. We live in Michigan. There's a lot of overcast days. Is your spirit totally dictated by whether you can see the sun? This was a bluebird day, the beautiful day today, not a cloud in the sky. And and I love the sun and vitamin D and all of that. But, but that can't be the dictator of our attitude and our spirit. And, and Because it's not about shadow and sunshine. Remember Paul said, I know how to abound, and I know how to be abased. I found this. I think this is in the Amplified. He said, I know how to live humbly in straightened circumstances. And I know also how to enjoy plenty and live in abundance. I have learned in any and all circumstances the secret of facing every life situation, whether well-fed or going hungry, having a sufficiency and enough to spare, or going without and being in want. In other words, it may be here and gone tomorrow. Boy, (laughs) that's exactly where we are right now. A month ago... Stock market was cranking along. The Olympics were coming up. The election and all of that was in full swing. On and on and on. Wham! Gone. Why? It may be here and gone tomorrow. It's not going to change us. It's not going to change us. That's why he follows it with this verse. And they that buy as though they possess not. Translation, stuff's not going to satisfy you. Don't attach too much importance to your stuff. I know people who, who say they own their home, but the truth is the home owns them. Uh, I, I know people who are prisoners. They're prisoners of their property. I've had a few things in my life. Let me tell you about it. I don't Just get all you want to, but here's the problem with all that stuff that you get. You want to get another piece of property beyond, beside the one that you have? Fine, that's great. But you're going to have to get insurance on it and you're going to pay taxes on it and you're going to have to upkeep it and you're going to have to worry about whether somebody breaks into it while you're gone. Get, 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 get all the stuff you want, but I'm telling you, all it is is more insurance and more taxes and more maintenance and more upkeep. Your happiness can't be dependent on your stuff. What in the world does it mean when it says, blessed are the poor in spirit? (laughs) Now watch. Watch this last thing that he says. Use this world, but don't abuse it. I'm coming to you tonight over the medium of the internet. We're using this device to stay in touch with the church body and the, the, the family that calls First Church home and who knows where else is. We're getting calls and texts from all over of people that are watching this. And I'm humbled and grateful that it feeds you and that you even want to take the time to listen. I, I'm grateful for that. But you can take that same internet and you can abuse it. And uh, you're going to have a lot of time on your hands in the next little while. What are you going to do with that time? Are you going to use the things that you've been given to get stronger in the Lord? Or when this episode is over, are you just going to be overweight? And are you going to be full of despair? And are you going to be depressed? I say, there's another city. I found these verses and then we're going to pray This is what Abraham said in Hebrews 11 and verse 10. It said, he looked for a city which hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. And in Hebrews 13 and 14, it says, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. So we're either going to be citizens of Babylon or we're going to be citizens of the new Jerusalem. I say we choose the latter. I say that we live like heaven, talk like heaven. Let's encourage one another right now. And when this is over, let's be stronger. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I have no idea how far and wide this prayer is going to stretch right now. I'm asking a lot for some airway to be able to transmit and transfer something from my person to their person. And for somehow, God, you allow me in the words that I'm praying right now to bring peace and to bring a sense of stability and confidence into the lives and the homes of the people who are listening to this lesson. Lord Jesus, together, we make a covenant together that we're going to serve you, and we're going to please you with our lives. And as we go through this episode and this test, I'm asking you, Lord, to help me to be a source of strength and to be a blessing to others, and not just me, but to the people that I pastor and to the people that look to me and to this leadership team for a way and instruction and what to do. I'm asking you, Lord, that this be more than the pastor and the people that revolve around him on a daily basis, but literally the families that call this church home. Let this be a church of strong families, of people that understand. I'm going to cry, and then I'm going to get over it. I'm going to laugh, and then I'm going to get over it. I'll buy something, I'll enjoy it, but it's not going to rule my life. I'm going to use this world. I'm not going to abuse it, and I'm not going to live my life based on the low octane fuel of feelings. I'm going to live my life based on faith. Lord Jesus, guide us, guard us, and go with us, and we will honor you for that. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. God bless every one of you. Good night, and I'll see you soon, or you'll see me soon.